6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Psalms, chapters 3 through 10. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter up of mine head. So when it's really dark, everybody's against him. In fact, not only are they against him, they regard his situation as hopeless. David is confident of his real help. Thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. Say it again. God would indeed lift up his head and restore his throne. He knew he would because that's what was prophesied in, in uh, 2 Samuel 7, the Davidic covenant. And he was relying on that covenant. You know, that's a very, very interesting thing we should not overlook. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, God goes out of his way to present himself as one who keeps his promises. He's a God that delights in making and keeping his promises. Some of his commitments would seem to put him in a very tight box. The ruler of the universe allows himself to be cornered into a tight box of his commitments, and he keeps them. That's a total contrast to the presentation of Allah, of Islam, who is presented as a capricious uh, one who can do anything he wants. Read that as untrustworthy. The very presentation of the characteristics or attributes of Allah are absolutely opposite from the attributes of the God of Abram, Isaac, and Yaakov. Okay, he trusted God's promise, the key thought here in 2 Samuel 7. That's the source of the Davidic covenant. It's very, very crucial. And it too, of course, is being challenged by the world today. And God, by the way, in case you've forgotten, is still on the throne. We need to, it's glib to, it's glib to say that here in a Bible study like this, but it's quite another to grab onto that when you're going through a dark times, when everybody's turning against you, when there doesn't seem to be any hope. That's the time to remind yourself that God is on the throne. Put a tab on Romans 8.28 and just check to make sure it's still there. I check it about once a day sometimes. <laughs> David continues, I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I awaked. This is a morning psalm. He's had a good night's sleep, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. That's a lot. How many people are gathered against you right now? I suspect it's less than ten thousand. Morning psalm. Psalm 4 will be an evening psalm on the same events. Psalm 3 is a morning psalm. And Psalm 5 is also on this, probably on the same subject, by the way. But the key idea here is that God works on our behalf even when we're asleep. 
I love Psalm 121 when we get there. It talks about Israel. He that keepeth Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Everybody's worried about Israel. With good reason on the one hand, and yet we don't need to not worry. Who's watching out for Israel? God is. Who's watching out for America? These days I'm not so sure. Mornings are special. Abraham worshiped in the morning. Moses worshiped in the morning. Joshua worshiped in the morning. Samuel worshiped in the morning. Job worshiped in the morning. Our Lord himself, Mark 1.35. You can look, check these verses out, but I don't think if you really want to challenge those views, I don't think, I'm not suggesting they worship only in the morning. But there is something you might remember. When do you feed the sheep? In the morning. And we are his sheep. So we should feed ourselves in the morning when it's fresh. His mercies are fresh. There's something unspoiled about the morning. I guess I, for reasons that I have no idea, I have all my life been an early riser. I wake up very early. And those few hours before breakfast are the most precious time of the day. Many days, what I don't get done by breakfast, I don't get done. Phone starts ringing, there are appointments, there's issues, there's who knows. But um, those precious, precious morning hours. Um, now, some of us, you know, stay up late to make up for it, you know. You no, know, it's important to get a good night's sleep, too. So here is David in the morning. He says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. That's a right cross or left hook. What I suspect is a right cross. Anyway, thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Selah again. It is here in the past tense. Save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten. The um, New American Standard and King James put it in the past tense. There's several other translations that put it in the present or future tense. And we're talking about an action of God. They're often expressed either way. God often speaks of future prophecy in the past tense. And uh, they, they, uh, they often call that the prophetic past. In other words, it's the way, it's just the idiom... With God, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's many strange passages where what you're learning is clearly future, and yet it's written as if it's already happened. And, uh, but uh, so since this is a prayer, many of them, uh, many, some translations convert the past tense to a future tense there, but for what it's worth. Now, his enemies are seen as a pack of animals who needed to have their teeth broken. Teeth here, broken the teeth, is, is sort of it's idiom, idiomatic of a vicious animal. And uh, so, uh, all my enemies, thou hast smitten all my enemies upon the cheekbone. I think he knocked his teeth out. <laughs> and then salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Same word again, by the way, Yehoshua there, belongeth to the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people, Selah. Verse 8 here is one that Jonah quoted when he was inside the fish. And uh, so the uh, David here even though he used his brilliance to outmaneuver Absalom, doesn't take credit. He gives it all to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Selah. And again, salvation is Yeshua, which means help or salvation, and of course is a proper name of the Messiah. Okay, that's, pro that's number three. Let's take a look at number four. 
um, to the chief musician on the Niganoth. And that is apparently a stringed instrument, or among stringed instruments, plural, is found in the titles of 53 of the Psalms, and they're usually rendered stringed instruments, like in, in, also in Habakkuk 3.19. To the chief musician implies, of course, the lead part of the temple choir that was played on the stringed instruments. So, okay. I would assume it's analogous to the first violin in an orchestra or something, something like that. Anyway, um, we infer from a study of the psalm that the circumstance here appear to parallel the Psalm 3, except this one will be in the evening rather than the morning. David says, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. Now this will seem a little more clear. The word distress, tsar in the Hebrew, really, uh, here translated distress, really technically means pressed into a corner, in a tight place, that kind of distress. And that's why God, in response to that, enlarged him, set him in a broad place in contrast to that. So those two words are, in a sense, antithetical, although it's not obvious in the English. Are we together? Okay. David continues, O ye sons of men, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will ye love vanity and seek after leasing? Selah. Well, first of all, so we don't stumble over this, this has got nothing to do with the way you're financing your car. Okay? The word leasing today is used differently than it was in the 17th century. The word leasing then was, or here, the word in the Hebrew is kazab, and what it really refers to is a lie, untruth, falsehood, a deceptive thing. Now, some of you may feel that way about some of the leases you've signed, but that's, that's really a, a long way from what the word meant as it is used here in this translation. How long will you love vanity? See, the rebels were rebelling against David, but what's more relevant, and that's his point, they were rebelling against the God-appointed leader. And they also were victims of lies and deceit. That's his point that underlies this. Oh, ye sons of men, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will ye love vanity and seek after lies and deceit? And then there's the call to reflect on that. Think it through. What's really going on here? Selah. Okay. Lift up, exalt, pause, accentuation of some kind. Continuing. But know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. That's David's both comfort and also his call to his adversaries. Know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. They're messing around with God's property, in effect. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. David knew despite the appearances, he had a channel to the ruler of the universe, and he would listen. So he warned him, stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There be many that say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of thy countenance upon us. 
Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. See, it is an evening psalm. And uh, Psalm 3 was on the morning of the same events, we believe, and so Psalm 5 will fit the same set of circumstances as well. The word peace, by the way, is shalom, no surprise. How many have heard that term before? See, it doesn't mean what you probably think it means. Yes, it's used for peace, but it also means completeness, soundness, welfare, health, prosperity, adequacy for life. Saying shalom is more than, you know, freedom of war or just having a quiet heart. No, no, it's much more than that. It's about as broad and as comprehensive a greeting or gesture or blessing that you could articulate. Far more than just Lachaim, I guess, right? Okay. Okay, let's go on to number five. Again, we think it's the same events that prompted this as uh, Psalm 3 and 4. To the chief musician upon the Nihaloth, uh, a Psalm of David. Now, the Nehaloth is apparently a term suggesting flutes, or you know, a, 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 an, air, an air instrument of some kind. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For unto thee will I pray. My voice that shalt thou hear in the morning. O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. That may sound familiar to you because it's a very common chorus among the uh, younger uh, music in, uh, in uh, many, many fellowships. It's amazing how many of the current uh, uh, choruses that are familiar to us are actually just literally lifted out of the Psalms. Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation. I, you know, I, I keep thinking that meditation is probably a lost art. We don't take time to meditate. You know, we, we, uh, we have a nervous breakdown if we miss one of the veins in a revolving door. You know, we just got it. Things are just, uh, we live in such a strange world. We can get point-to-point communication while we're walking down the street with a phone in our ear. I mean, it's a, it's a different world. And what a precious thing it is to somehow extract from this hurried existence of our time to meditate. To just pause in silence, not listening to the latest tape from or whatever, but just to meditate on God's word and listen for listen to Him. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For unto Thee will I pray. My voice shalt Thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct my prayer to Thee and will look up. And. Uh, now, if this, this probably, five, uh, Psalm 5 was probably the same experiences from the Absalom event. It could, if not, it certainly implies a flight from Jerusalem. And uh, uh, when he says direct, that's a key word, by the way. I won't try to do this all the way through all the Psalms. We'd be at it all day. But let's, there, there is nuances to the verb that's here translated direct that is a bit distinctive. The word implies prep, orderly preparation. And uh, the word is arak in the Hebrew. It means to arrange, to set or put or lay in order. It's what you did to a sacrifice or to set to, to arrange for a fire. 
lay in order, to prepare, to order, ordain, handle, or furnish. If you were going to, um, if you had an opportunity next week to meet and chat with President Bush, would you prepare for that? If you were going to meet a famous author, pick one that's really on your hit list, because you've been invited to a, a dinner Tuesday, next Tuesday or Wednesday or something with so-and-so. You'd probably run out and make sure you got a current copy of the book and skim through, right? So you wouldn't be embarrassed when you're in the... You follow what I'm saying? Well, you got, you got an appointment with the ruler of the universe. Do you prepare for it? Or do you treat it casually? You know, time with, a time of prayer, we take... It's so accessible, we take it casually. Rather than to prepare for it, to think it through, make a list of some thoughts, put them in order, get really ready for that uh, opportunity. That's what the word Iraq would imply. It was used of arranging the sacrifice and altar. On a, uh, that, this is exactly what Leviticus is all through the details there. Arranging the wood on the fire for a campfire or whatever. Placing the showbread in the tabernacle, which is a very orderly, specifically prescribed thing that needed to be done. Setting a meal before guests. Got some important guests. You just sort of throw it on a plate and dump it in there. You go to an upscale restaurant. The food is not only good. The presentation is a big deal. It makes a difference. It also is a term that's usually associated with a soldier ready to receive orders. Let me mention something else that you won't find in your Bible probably. But how many of you have been an active employee at reasonable management levels of a larger a, a, a corporation, large corporation. Good. Have you ever seen the secretary of the boss go into his office without a pad? If he asks for a secretary to come on in, I got you, come on in. She will, no matter how much in a hurry she is, she will go with a pad and a pencil into that office. Why? Because she's always in a position of expecting some assignments. Do we do that when we go before the throne room of the universe? Take a pad along just in case God might have something on his heart. We hear his voice. He gives us an insight. Gives us an assignment. If you're ready to jot it down so you won't forget. Just a thought. Let's move on to verse 4. David says, For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. Now, we, here we could concatenate a whole bunch of verses, but I'll let you search them out for yourself, where evil cannot cohabit with God. Revelation 21.8 is the end of it. There's a whole bunch of others. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. And there again, that word is not what some people think. And the Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. You know, it's interesting. If you're in a large organization, corporation or whatever, and something happens where suddenly there's a new guy, a new boss in place. The old guy is either retired or maybe hit by a car or something. Suddenly, there is a new boss running the whole show. What happens? Quickly, the rumor mill will try to work. What's he like? What does he like? What doesn't he like? Only pastel shirts with striped ties or whatever. I mean, you know, whatever it is. 
there'll be a scurry to try to understand his buying habits. What pleases him? What displeases him? You know, it's interesting how an organization will quickly scramble to somehow, you know, I can remember at the Ford Motor Company when I was there, in the engineering organization, there were two organizations, the line engineers that released the product, the product engineers, and there was also what they called engineering staff, the proving grounds and labs and all that. They, the, 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 all that reported to engineering staff of the vice president of engineering of the company. The product engineers reported to the chief engineer of the Ford division or whatever. Well, it happened that Hans Matthias, who was in charge of the product division, was a guy that when he got to work, he took off his shirt. He worked with his shirt sleeves and his tie. And uh, engineering staff, Herb Mesh, he would always wear his coat when he was not, you know, in his office. Even when he was in his office, when he's, uh, if you went to a meeting in the company that was, you know, 10 or 20 guys in the meeting, some from staff and some product engineers, you could tell who came from which. Because the product engineers came in the shirt sleeves and tie because that's just their habit they developed. They didn't have a tie clip. They were probably from truck engineering, not car engineering. It wasn't conscious. It wasn't. An, it was just an unconscious thing. And the guys from engineering all came in the you know coat. It was to to a, to someone new in the organization. You watch it. It's couldn't help but chuckle. You know, but because it, it wasn't like a conscious thing. It just people just adopt the style of the organization they're part of. How interesting it is. How much effort do we take to find out what pleases God? Not everything pleases God. Even if it has good intentions, it may not please God. That's what the book of Leviticus is all about. The only book in the Bible on holiness. He has specifications. There are things that displease him. We need to understand that and not dismiss them. For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. I won't ask for a show of hands of how many of you are workers of iniquity. It embarrasses all. Thou shalt destroy them that speak falsehoods. The Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. Ooh, boy. See, there is no such thing. Hear me, this is important. There is no such thing as abstract evil, except in dictionaries and in philosophy books. Evil is not an abstraction, except in, in vocabulary. Evil is a terrible force wrecking lives and capturing people into hell. It's active moment by moment everywhere you look. And the people who are the losers in that battle are called in the Bible the earth dwellers. We are not to be dwelling on the earth. We're passing through. In the book of Revelation, the term earth dwellers is very clearly, as you study it, the losers. And of course, Lisa Kazab, yeah, I think I covered that. Untruth, falsehood, doesn't have anything to do with financing. David continues, but as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. He takes God seriously. We talk a good game. I appreciate you coming out here tonight to enjoy the study, but the issue that's before all of us is we take him seriously enough. Every one of us in this room, me included, needs to raise the bar on our personal walk. We need to understand that. 
And sometimes the people in the pulpits like myself have the most urgent need to raise that bar, especially in America, the American pulpits. How few really declare a gospel that God wouldn't abhor. As for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies, and make thy way straight before my face. So David is praying for guidance. He's confident in the God he worships, but he's soliciting guidance. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongue. This sounds like the Absalom rebellion. That's one of the reasons we suspect this emerged from that same period in David's adventures. Destroy thou them, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against thee. Now, by the way, this is what we call an imprecatory psalm. We'll talk a little bit about that. As many people, as New Testament Christians, are very uncomfortable with some of the Psalms. David here is praying for justice. Anyone who resents this kind of praying can't pray, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as heaven, because we have a just God. Thomas Jefferson summarized that so well. As I tremble for my country when I recall that God is just and His justice will not sleep forever. He understood it on a national basis. Destroy them, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Why? Because I'm mad at them? No, because they are dishonoring God. Cast them out of the multitude of the transgressions for they have rebelled against me? No, against thee, God. The issue isn't that they're against David. The issue is that they're against David's appointed leader. They are against God whether they realize it or not. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Psalms. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. Or you can call us on 1-800-KHOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word. Music